The words to which I should like to call your attention this evening are to be found in the Gospel according to St. John, in the first chapter, verses 50 and 51, the last two verses in the first chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Men. We come back once more to a consideration of this great and mighty and crucial statement which was made by the Lord Jesus Christ primarily to Nathaniel, but also together with him as the plural shows to the other disciples who were also present. We come back to it because it is one of those important statements which our Lord himself marks out for us as having unusual importance by introducing it with the words, Verily, verily. Amen, amen, most solemnly, I say unto you. It's always good to pay unusually careful attention to any statement by our Lord that is introduced by verily, verily. And here, as we saw in our consideration of it last Sunday evening, our Lord is making one of those great pronouncements in which he rarely states the whole gospel. And that is why we are thus spending our time with it. It is the complete gospel message. Now you remember how our Lord came to make the statement. You remember how Philip had gone to fetch Nathaniel. Nathaniel had his difficulties, you remember. Philip doesn't deal with them himself. He says, come and see. Come to him. I tell you that this is the one of whom Moses and the prophets of old wrote. Come and see. And Nathanael, being an Israelite indeed, and a man in whom was no guile, he went. And as he was coming, our Lord looked at him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathanael was astonished and said to the Lord, How knowest thou me? He realized that the Lord did know him. He was an Israelite indeed. He was looking for the Messiah and waiting for him. And he was without guile. He was desperately in earnest. He wasn't animated by a mere general curiosity. This was to him the most important thing in life. How knowest thou me? And our Lord replied, saying to him, Before Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And this was enough for Nathaniel. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. What made him say that, of course, was this, that he saw that here was one who knew all about him, knew his innermost thoughts, his very imaginations, this penetrating power that convinced him that this was the Messiah, the Son of God. Excellent, says our Lord, in effect, to Nathaniel. Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? It's not a question, it's an assertion. This is good, you're perfectly right. You've seen it, but that isn't all. That isn't enough. Thou shalt see Greater things than thee. What are they? Well, our Lord proceeds to tell them. And you remember that he puts it in this most interesting form. He goes back and borrows that tremendous incident in the life of the patriarch Jacob, you remember, how when he was leaving home for the first time, there in his utter loneliness he put his, himself down to rest and used a stone as his pillow and went off to sleep and there he had his dream. He saw the heavens opened and this ladder 
between heaven and earth and earth and heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending upon it and God spoke to him and gave him the great assurance that he was in his hands and that he was going to bless him and that he had a great purpose for him. Now God first spoke to him through the picture, through the dream, through the ladder. The business of the ladder is to show Jacob that he is linked to heaven and linked to God. And the up and down of the angels means that God is sending his blessings to his servant through this means. Now then, our Lord we saw last Sunday night takes up this very idea. And he couples it with himself as the son of men. And what it amounts to we saw was this. That he is now the ladder. He doesn't mention any ladder here. What he says is that as Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending upon that ladder, so you are going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He himself is the ladder, which we interpreted as meaning this. He is the connecting link between heaven and earth. He is the connecting link between God and man. He is the medium through which God blesses mankind, and he is the only medium. There is no other. It's an exclusive claim. He is the way, the only way. And I gave you a number of scriptures in which he asserts that himself. Very well. That's the point at which we've arrived and from which we must now proceed. Now I want to call your attention this evening to this tremendous and amazing picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as the ladder, the connecting link between heaven and earth, between God and men. I want to try to show you in terms of this picture that he himself implies how this is the great theme of the New Testament gospel, that he is the one who links us to God and brings us to God, the ladder. Now, there are many ways in which we can approach this theme. This is the one that commends itself to me. First of all, let us give a general description of the ladder. What are the things that you think of when you're looking at a ladder, if you're told about a ladder that connects one place to another? Well, obviously, the first thing you want to know about is this. Where is the top of the ladder? Where does the ladder reach to? I am the ladder, says Christ. Very well, we say. Where do you get to? Where do you reach to? Where does this ladder, as it were, end? Where does it come from, if you like? It depends which way you're looking at it. Well, of course, the answer is given to us abundantly in the Scripture. I said last Sunday evening, and I repeat it again, that there is a sense in which this great text we are looking at this evening is a summary of the whole of the gospel according to St. John. Now let me show it to you. You say, where's the top of the ladder? Here's the answer. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that is made. In him was life. Here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the top of the ladder. But come, let's consider some other scriptures in which he says it again. Take the third chapter of this gospel, verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. That's the top of the ladder. That's where it reaches, that's where he's come from. But he goes on repeating this. Let me give you just one more illustration from the 16th chapter of this gospel in verse 28. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. What a ladder. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Philippians, puts it in this way. Though he was in the form of God. 
in God. There's nothing higher than that. There's nothing beyond that. God is God from eternity to eternity. There's nothing beyond him. That's the topmost place that this ladder reaches to. That's where it's come from. That's the highermost reach. The top of the ladder. Well, now then, wait a minute. The next thing we want to know about this ladder is about its various rungs. A ladder consists, doesn't it, of two side pieces and these cross pieces, which we call rungs. And it's very important that we should know something about the rungs of this ladder. The fundamental statement, of course, which we are considering is again a statement which is made in the prologue of this gospel according to St. John. There he is, the Word, the eternal Word, the second person in the blessed Holy Trinity, substance of the eternal substance. Now then, here's the ladder. That was made flesh and dwelt among us. But you see, there must be rungs in the ladder. These angels are going up and coming down. There must be rungs. Well, therefore, let us look at the rungs of the ladder. There again, I say, we start with that tremendous statement which the Apostle Paul makes there in that second chapter of the epistle to the Philippians. Who, being in the form of God, he is God, that's what that means. He's one with God, sharing the substance of the eternal God. Co-equal, co-eternal. Well, now, there you are. Well, now, how did he come from that to this, to be made flesh and to dwell and to tabernacle amongst us? There are many statements about these rungs in the Scripture. I only want to put some of them before you Have you ever looked at it like this, I wonder? The Lord himself, as it were, came down upon the ladder which is himself. And you know what you do, don't you? When you come down a ladder, there you are on the top of the ladder. Well, now you take hold of the position where you were, and then you put your feet down onto that first rung, don't you? But you're holding on to that. But if you kept on holding on to that, you'd never come down the ladder. Have you ever realized that our Lord did something like that? Listen to this. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, says this authorized version. And there, unfortunately, it's a very weak and a very poor translation. It really means this. Who, being in the form of God, thought not that a prize to be clutched at or to be held on to or to hang on to. You see the descent beginning? He is that. He is there. He holds on to it as it were, and yet he doesn't hold on to it. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. He, as it were, let go of that place where he was and put his foot upon the rung, and he began to go down and to go down. He didn't regard it as a prize to be clutched at, to be hung on to, to be held on to. He left behind him the signs of his eternal glory and began to come down. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. There's the beginning of the descent onto the rungs of the ladder. But come, let me take you again to that epistle to the Hebrews, a part of which we read at the beginning. What is the first rung that he had to pass, says someone? Oh, I can tell you that quite simply. The first rung he had to pass was the position occupied by the angels. He himself, you see, is this. He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's who he is, that's where he was. 
Well, what is he in that position? Well, says this man, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The Son of God is infinitely above the angels. The angels are above us. But he is infinitely above the angels. The angels are created beings. There was a time when there wasn't an angel. God has brought the angels into being by an act of his creative power. But he never created his son. The son is the only begotten. Begotten, not created. You see the difference? Well, there he is, above the angels, the Lord of the angels, entirely supreme, right away above them, sharing the glory with the Father, which an angel never has done and never can do. Ah, therefore you see that in coming down, he had to pass that rung, and so we read in Hebrews 2, verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He's coming down the ladder, you see. He's making the ladder by his descent, if you like. Look at it whichever way you like. But it involved this coming down, and he's past the position of angels, do you notice how this man, he puts it again later on. I like it very much. He says here, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He came down below them, made a little lower than the angels. He's coming down. But of course it didn't stop there. Let's watch him as he comes down. Let us go through these steps that are depicted for us in this mighty epistle to the Philippians in the second chapter, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Then he passes the angels, Paul leaves that out, but it's there in Hebrews. And then having passed them, this is how he goes on to say, and he took upon him the form of a servant down his coming, and was made in the likeness of men. Lower still. He could have been a servant as an angel, but he's made in the likeness of men. Down he comes, you see. You'll go to Romans 8 and you'll say, find that he says that he's made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He took on him the seed of Abraham, insomuch as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same. Down he's coming, but it doesn't stop even there. It goes on being in the form of a servant, in fashion as a man. He humbled himself still further and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now there we've been looking in general so far at these rungs of the ladder. And it is of course the greatest mystery of eternity. The most marvelous thing that you and I will ever be privileged to listen to. People are in for excitement they tell me. They want something thrilling. And because they can't get thrills they're trying to invent something still more thrilling and exciting. Do you want a thrill? Do you want drama? Do you want a spectacle, spectacle to look at and to behold and to be thrilled by and to admire? Here it is. Look at him coming down. Watch him as he comes from rung to rung and step to step. But we must press on. Where, says someone, is the bottom of this ladder? Well, we've got to be careful at this point, lest we make a mistake. He became... Men, the word was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. But that isn't the bottom of the ladder. That's very low. Oh, to come from heaven to this earth and into this world and to live as a man. Oh, that was a descent, I say. That was self-abnegation. That was a humbling and a humiliation. But that isn't the bottom of it. You notice how Paul went on there. Humbled himself still further, even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. 
Is that the end? Is that the lowest rung? Did he go no lower than the cross on Calvary's hill? Yes, he went even lower than that. It's almost impossible to imagine it, but we are told that he did. Because Paul puts to us something like this in the fourth chapter of the epistle to the Ephesians. In the ninth verse, he's talking about Christ having conquered his enemies and having returned to heaven and having ascended. He quotes Psalm 68. But then he says this as a commentary. Now, that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? What's this mean? Because this is the bottom end of the ladder. He didn't stop at being a man. He went below that. He did something that took him lower down even. Even unto death, yes, the death of the cross and all the shame and the ignominy that belongs to that, but even lower, he died. He was buried. He was placed in a grave down in the lower parts of the earth. He went to Hades. For he said to the thief that was dying at his side, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, a part of Hades. He's descended into the place of the dead. And as I want to show you in a moment, he wouldn't have saved us if he hadn't gone there. It was a tremendous descent to become men. But if he just stopped at being men and hadn't gone down any further, not one of us would be saved. There'd be no such thing as a Christian. Christ by just coming in the flesh doesn't save. Christ by teaching doesn't save. Christ as an example doesn't save. Before this ladder can reach me, it's got to go down. Death. Hades. And he went. He that ascended, what is it? But that he first of all descended also into the lower parts of the earth. Well now then, my friends, there it is. There I've given you a general picture of this ladder. From the highest throne of glory to the cross of deepest woe, down among the dead, in Hades. Peter rejoices as he preaches on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, that he is able to say, Thou couldst not leave his soul in hell, but he was there, he went there, in Hades. The ladder from the highest throne of glory to Hades. Well, there it is. I can't stay with it this evening. I want to press on to something else. Think of it, my friends. Oh, go home and spend some time in meditating upon the ladder. Look at it. Look at the rungs. See him passing by the angels, coming lower. And down and down and down he goes. Right unto Hades. But come, let me ask another question which is obvious. The thing that you and I want to know is this, isn't it? If he's here making the assertion that he is the ladder that is to connect God and men and heaven and earth, if he is the way of reconciling men unto God and linking men to God again, and the means whereby God is going to bless mankind once more, the questions we want to ask is this. Is the ladder capable of serving the functions for which it's designed and, for which, and which he claims for it? Can the ladder stand the strains and the stresses? If I asked you suddenly to go from here to the top of this building, and I gave you a ladder, you'd say to me now, are you quite sure that that ladder is going to take my weight? Is it strong enough? Can it hold me? And it's a perfectly right and a perfectly fair question to ask. Having looked at your ladder, having seen its height, its depth, having looked at the rungs, you say, now then, yes, but is it strong? Is it stable? If I go up, will it suddenly start shaking and will I fall? Will it hold my strain, my stress? Will it stand up to the functions that are necessary if I'm to get up to the top of the building? Well, now then, let's ask these questions. Can Jesus Christ as the ladder between men and God really bring us to God? What do we ask of him? What is necessary? Well, here are the things. 
Can he bring us to the knowledge of God that we desire and that is salvation? This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God. Ah, that's the great question, isn't it? How can a man find out God? How can a man arrive at God? We are told that the philosophers, they sought him. If happily they might seek after him and find him, but they couldn't. The world by wisdom knew not God. This is the thing that man has had in his blood and in his bones. Whether he realizes it always or not, there is something in him that's crying out for God, for that ampler ether, diviner air. He feels he is not made for dust says Longfellow, and he believes that somehow he belongs, but where is God? How can a man find wisdom? How can one attain unto this knowledge? God! And every man has failed. Here is one who says, I am the ladder. Can he give me this knowledge? Well, here is the answer in the 18th verse of this chapter we are looking at. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He's led him forth. He's manifested him. He's taught us about him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you want light on God? He says, I am the light of the world. He's everything. He brings us to this knowledge of God. So he stood one afternoon when Thomas and Philip together were a little bit uncertain and doubtful, and Philip said to him, you remember, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. We can even bear the news that you're going to leave us on condition that you show us the Father. And he looked at Philip and says, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Look at me, and you'll know the Father, you'll see him. My Father and I are one. He who hath seen me, hath seen the Father. Do you want to know God? I'm not asking, do you merely want to know certain things about God? That's important. And if you want to know things about God, you've got to come to this person. He's the only one. All else is speculation. God has left his fingerprints in nature and creation, but we are too blind by sin to be able to see him there. We should be able to see his eternal Godhead and power, but we don't. We fail. But not only that, I want to know him as he is. I want to know his heart of love. I want to be in fellowship with him. I want to know God. And there's only one way. He, the only begotten Son that is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He does it. And in Christ, and in Christ alone, we can know God and have fellowship with him. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, let me come to my second amen. I know that I am under the law. God has given his holy law to Moses, Ten Commandments, moral law. There it is. It's no use arguing. I know it's there. I have a law written in my own heart which attests it. I know that this is God's law. This is God's will. And God has said that unless I keep that law, unless man obeys the law, he is under the wrath of God. And he's damned and he's condemned. Let him be as good as he likes. The law is the demand of God. And he is not the ladder connecting me to God unless he can deal with the law. Can he keep God's law? If he cannot, he doesn't span the gulf that separates me from God. I needn't keep you. He said that he had not come to destroy the law of the prophets but to fulfill them. And he has done so absolutely. He could stand and say, Who accuseth me of sin? And nobody could. He said, the prince of this world cometh and findeth nothing in me. Yes, says the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, the high priest we have is one who is holy, harmless, and undefiled. Tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. 
Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. He was made of a woman. He was made under the law. And he kept it. He honored it. He didn't disobey God in any iota or tittle of this law. He has obeyed perfectly. He has satisfied the holy law of God without any blemish whatsoever. He's again satisfactory. The ladder is still holding. But come, let me ask another question. I and all other men have not only the problem of keeping the law, there is the problem of the devil and the fight with devil and the Satan and sin and temptation. I see this ladder between earth and heaven. Yes, but I see something happening. There is one who doesn't want men to be right with God. He is our adversary, the devil. And his ambition is to keep us eternally separated from God in order that he may ruin God's work. And now he sees that here is a ladder claiming to go from man to God and God to man. And what happens? Well, he does what's inevitable. The devil came and he began shaking the ladder. Forty days and forty nights he tempted our Lord in the wilderness and this is how he tempted him. If, if, Thou be the Son of God. If you are the ladder that you claim to be, if thou art the Son of God, he's trying to shake him, to shake the ladder. Not only that, by his subtle temptations. He is trying to get our Lord to do things that his father hadn't sent him to do. He said, if you be the Son of God, why don't you command these stones and turn them into bread? Why don't you fall from the pinnacle of the temple and give such a marvelous, miraculous display of yourself that everybody will be convinced? I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world at once. I'll give you them in a second if you only bow down and worship me. He was trying to shake the ladder. He was trying to cause it to crash to the ground and to smash it in utter failure. Ah, yes, he was tempted in all points like as we are. The devil brought out all his might and all his reserves. He tried to shake the Son of God in a way that you and I will never be shaken. Tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, he didn't shake. He didn't move. He remained where he was. Get thee behind me. He repulsed him by quoting scripture. The ladder is still standing and still holding, but wait a minute. I know that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, and it's against me. We are all by nature, says Paul, the children of wrath, even as others. The wrath of God is upon every infant born into this world, whether you like it or not, it's a fact. We are the children of wrath by nature. Can he do anything about this? If I am to be saved, somehow or another the wrath of God is to be taken off me. And he says that he's come to save me, to reconcile me to God. Very well, he's got to take the wrath of God in my stead. And he has done so. God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. God hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I see him smitten of God. The wrath of God descends upon him there on Calvary. Can you see it? The arms of God's wrath Upon the ladder. Can it stand? And if it hadn't stood. I wouldn't be in this pulpit. There'd be no gospel to preach. He can bear it. He bore it all. 
and still stand. Death and the grave, can he do anything about thee? For there I see him dying upon that cross. I see him expiring and dismissing his spirit into the hands of God. I see them taking down his dead body and putting it into a grave and rolling a stone upon it. Can he deal with death? Can he deal with the grave? If he cannot, I'm still undone. He's borne the wrath and the punishment. But is he dead? Does he remain there? You know the answer if you don't listen to it. Before he came to all that, he looked at his father in prayer and he said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And his last utterance on the cross was, It is finished! Finished! What the redemption of men, the ladder, the purpose of the ladder, finished! Yes, but he dies, he's gone down. Oh, that isn't the end. Go on, rush on to the morning of the third day. The resurrection proves that he's conquered death and the grave also. He couldn't be held by death. He's burst us under the bends of death. He's arisen triumphant o'er the grave. See him rising. He's gone down. He's ascending. He's beginning to go up again. Watch him as he comes and manifests himself for 40 days. Look at him in the ascension as he rises in the presence of the disciples on Mount Olivet. And back he's gone where? Well, as the Hebrews author tells us. Having once and forever purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. There he is. He is passed through the heavens again. The heavens that he came down through as he came down. He has passed through the great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens. Up he goes, rung after rung, and he's back at the point from which he came. He'd prayed, hadn't he, in the 17th of John again, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with thee before the foundation of the world. And he's done it, he's back again. The ladder started there, it's come down, he goes back. From the highest throne of glory even down unto Hades. And there he is, he's ascended again above the heavens. Well, dear me, says somebody, this is very wonderful, but it seems a long way from me. I am still in this world of sin and shame and evil, and you're talking about this wonderful person and saying these glorious things. Is he still interested in me? Did he draw the ladder up after him when he went back and shut the trap door? Has he gone to heaven and is he leaving me on earth? Is the ladder still here? Listen to this. Do you know what he's doing up there? He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's still connected. The ladder is still there. From him to me. He is still touched with a feeling of our infirmities. What's he doing there? Well, he is our advocate with the Father. In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows bears a part. He sympathizes with our grief. And to the sufferer sends relief. Go and read your book of Revelation. And you'll find that he still, as a lamb that had been slain, he's still the same person. He's taken your human nature and mind there with him. He's still linked to us, in touch with us. We are in him. He is in us. We are joined to him. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Thank God when he went back, he didn't lift the ladder up. He's left it. He's still the ladder himself, and he's linked to me. Very well, my friends. Can you think of any further tests to put to this ladder? Can you think of any other stresses or strains 
that can ever shake it or throw it down or smash it, I defy you to do so. He's been tested to the very limit, to the very uttermost. Everything that God could do, as it were, when he poured his wrath upon him has been done, and hell brought out all its reserves. There was nothing it didn't do. But he stands, he stood. The ladder has passed every test. Well, as a result of that, what are the blessings that come to me? That's what he's saying, isn't it? That as the ladder, he is the one on whom the angels of God will be ascending and descending in order that we might have God's blessings and munificence and all his glorious gifts. What are they? Well, I'm merely going to give you a list. But listen. By him and through him alone, because of all that I've been describing, I have forgiveness of sins. I am reconciled to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Because he's borne my sins and their punishment, because his blood was shed as the sacrifice and the offering, because he stood in my place and the wrath of God that I deserved came on him, my sins are forgiven. They've been washed away forever. I am justified in the presence of God by the work and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, we are sons of God. Listen to it here again in this first chapter. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He alone can make you a son of God. Nobody else can. He can and he does. By thus linking you to God, you become a partaker of the divine nature in him. You are in him. You are therefore a child of God. And therefore, of course, in him and through him you come to know God as your father. Oh, what a blessed thing that is. In a world like this, you don't pray in need and trouble to whatever gods may be. You go not merely to God the creator, God the great eternal ruler. You can go to him and say, my God, my father. The new covenant says, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And Christ has ratified the new covenant by his blood. And God is my father. And so I can go to him with confidence and with assurance. I need mercy for I still sin. But I can go with boldness to the throne of grace. And obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And so I am always sure that I am blessed of God. Always blessed by God, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what men may do to you. Doesn't matter what the world does to you. Doesn't matter what life or death does to you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in the ladder, Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate. The ladder is fixed from him to me, from me to him. And then the amazing blessings of sanctification and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We know the fight against sin, don't we? We know what it is to cry out in anguish, O oh, wretched men that I am, 
Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The evil that I would not, that I do, and the good that I would, I do not. What can I do? Oh, desolate! Can I be lifted up and delivered? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, the rung of that ladder broke. He couldn't take the weight of sin. What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. He serves me here again. What a blessing. What else? Well, death is coming. And how can I go through that? Is there anything beyond it? Is there any hope? Yes, there is a glorious hope in Christ. Listen to the author of the epistle to the Hebrews putting it. He's talking about a great world of glory that is to come in which men are going to dwell. This world to come of which we speak. How can I get into that? Is there any hope for me? Well, here's the answer. I look at the world as I see it round and about me and I don't get the impression that man is the Lord of creation. I see not yet all things made subject unto him. Well, where is the hope? Here it is. We see Jesus. Already triumphed over it all. Has already risen over it all. And there he is waiting until his enemy shall be made his footstool. Therefore I have this hope. It is a hope which is both sure and steadfast and which entereth even into the veil as an anchor for my soul. Different terms, but the same picture. He says it's like an anchor that steadies my little frail bark. The anchor has gone through. I say the ladder has gone through. I don't see that, but Jesus is there, and I'm linked to him. What else? Well, while we are still in this world, we have this great promise that the angels of God will minister to us. Christ said we should see them coming up and down. And here again it is in Hebrews 1. He's talking about the angels. Are they not all, he says, ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Our Lord says about the little children that in heaven their angels do behold the face of my Father that is in heaven. Christian people, it's about time we went back and considered the biblical teaching about angels. The angels of God are ministering spirits to serve you and me. And I believe they're watching over us and they're ministering to us when we don't know it. But they're there holding us back, restraining, keeping evil away. What a wonderful thing. The angels of God are coming down and going up along Christ to help me, an heir of salvation. Yes, you say, that's very wonderful, but I've still got to die. You tell me that there is that glory beyond it, but how can I pass through death itself? Well, here is my answer. Our Lord told us about a certain beggar who lived at the gate of a rich man, and the dogs used to lick his poor wounds. He says, the beggar, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And I have biblical authority, therefore, to tell you at this moment that if you are a child of God, you needn't fear death. The angels of God will carry you through and take you to be with him. You know, many saints have seen them. They've said that their bedrooms have been full of them. They've seen them. But whether we see them or not, they're there. The angels of God who've been ministering us to us through life will carry us 
through the river, bear us in their arms and present us to him. Well, that's death catered for, says somebody. But my body is buried in the grave. What of that? Well, our Lord has answered, the ladder has spoken. I will raise him up in the last day. He's been raised, we shall be raised. The spirit that is in you, says Paul to the Romans, shall also raise and quicken your mortal bodies. We therefore wait for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. Yes, this is my confidence, this is my hope. I look to heaven of which I am a citizen. For the coming of the Son of God, who when he comes, shall change this my vile body and fashion it according to the body of his glorification, according to that mighty working whereby he is able to subdue all things even unto himself. There it is. He is the ladder. He's come from heaven to earth. He's gone down to Hades. He's gone back to heaven. Can he do, can he take me there? Does he really save me? Can he link me to God? I've asked every question you can ever think of. He's answered yes to everyone. I, I know that at, as I stand at this moment in this pulpit, he will deliver me completely, body, soul, and spirit, and will present me faultless, without spot or blemish or any such thing, gloriously in the presence of God, he will raise me up and I shall spend my eternity with him. Nathaniel, Because I said unto thee that I saw thee whilst thou was under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. There they are. He's not only son of God, he's son of men. The ladder, the link, the reconciler, the mediator. Have you seen him so? Is he the ladder to you? Are you in him? Are you on him? Is he in you? God forbid that I should merely stand and paint a picture. This is life. You are in this world. God is in heaven. You've got to die. You've got to meet God. And there is only one way to die and to face God without fear. And it is to be in Christ. Linked to God through Jesus Christ. Who in order to save you and to redeem you. Came down via the angels, man, death of the cross, shame, burial, Hades. In order to deliver you, to reconcile you to God and to make, his, make you his child, and to open to you the gate of heaven and everlasting bliss. Do you see the ladder? Are you holding on to him? If you haven't done so until this moment, fly to him, hold on to him, and he then will never let you go. Amen.